Hello, and welcome to Thing of the Week, a show where two nerds share our most recent obsession. I'm Nick. And I'm Luke. So, I suppose, since this is first episode, uh, we should probably talk about who we are, uh, what we're doing here, and uh, yeah, I guess so. So, tell us about yourself, Luke. Uh, about me? Well, let's see. Um, <clears throat> I just forgot all about myself. You put me on the spot here. Oh, no! Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> No, I uh, it's like it's like when you go to Guitar Center and you you pick up a guitar and you're like, I'm now gonna play, uh, I'm gonna play something and I'm gonna try out this guitar and then you forget every riff you know, every single thing you ever knew. You can't, you don't even know a single chord. Maybe you strum a G chord or something. You're like, I'll take it. Yeah, no, this is the one. Yeah. Oh God, just yep. hope you don't regret it when you get home. I suppose that's a good a good inlet though uh, to talk about at least who we are and how we know each other we're both musicians yes and have played together a few different times we've we've known each other for a while almost 20 years holy crap yeah almost two decades god okay so we're also old yeah no we i say we we played a lot of punk and metal uh back in the day a lot a lot um so um i i met you when um i was in the same class as your brother jeremy Right. And, and, and he and I were friends initially. And one day we were hanging out and he dragged you with. And you were the weirdest guy I ever met. Yeah. <laughs> Up to that point. But I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, of course. And um, here's, uh, he and I grew further apart and you and I grew closer. And now, uh, now I know you a lot better than I know him. And How's he doing, by the way? He's doing really well. He's doing really well. Um, I was actually just hanging out with him today. Uh, yeah? Me and what was supposed to be me, um, my brother-in-law, and Jeremy, and his kids were supposed to put together a uh, plastic model engine. like okay. a like a Like a four-cylinder engine. We were supposed to put the model together, and it wound up being mostly just me and Jeremy and... Our brother-in-law, because the kids got bored and we were way more into it than them. But yeah, no, he's doing pretty good. I want to say that initially our relationship, not initially, but at a certain point our relationship did become a bit competitive. A little bit. A little bit there in, in, the, in the kind of music thing. But I, I feel like we, we, that's where we really just became friends. Yeah. If I recall, we were... Uh, we were in the same band for a little while, and I, I use the term band very liberally. Oh, yeah. Um, it was more of a loose conglomeration of teenagers who in the basement. Yeah, and we'd occasionally play a couple riffs or something, and we'd talk about the our shared musical interests. Oh, and yeah. Then, uh, yeah, and then you guys kicked me out because I was annoying as shit. <laughs> and uh, then you guys, we kind of did like this Metallica and Megadeth thing. Where oh, we yeah. Each sort of started our own bands, and there was some uh, uh, some healthy competition. We we all we both were just fighting over the same pool of musicians the entire time. Pretty much. But I do I do think it was healthy competition because I think it really pushed us both to be a lot better. Because every time you did something awesome, I had to do something better. And I don't know about for you, but it really drove me and it. It put a fire under my ass. That I... Yeah, you guys, uh, yeah, when, when you guys, you went and uh, you started recording in uh, Larry's studio, and I was like, oh, damn, I want to I wanna record in a studio. So I, I totally get it. We, we eventually did go to, the same stu- to that same studio together. That's true. That's true. Uh, many years later, we were in another band that was uh, slightly more successful. We never actually played a show, unfortunately. No. 
No, but we managed to like write some songs and stay together for all uh, more than a couple of weeks. So that's that was a start. That that was a that was a strange band because it was supposed to be like a cover band initially, and uh, we would just play like Blink One Eighty Two songs and uh, yeah, we do some open mics or something and mm-hmm. maybe make a couple bucks. Yep. Uh, and then it turned into original songs, and. Uh, we went to the studio and recorded a four-song EP. Yep. Uh, which I'm I'm actually still pretty proud of. I am too, actually. Uh, I think especially the some of the songwriting we did on that EP, I'm really proud of. Um, yeah. And by by we, I mean I'm really proud of the song I wrote, and I really like the songs that you guys wrote. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you want to talk about your thing of the week? I do. I do. Um. I feel like me and almost every other person in the world right now has been just dumping hours and hours and hours into what I'm calling a hardcore capitalism simulator. That's Animal Crossing. I got this game the day after I was told to stay home from work for an indefinite period of time. We don't need to get too topical with exactly why. I feel like there are some people who are probably trying to avoid thinking about it all. Yeah. But uh, basically, I wound up with almost two months off work. And uh, financially, I was okay, so nobody needs to worry about me there. But I was home for a long time, and that game, I think, was uh, just the craziest blessing that could have happened to me and so many other people. Um (laughs) It has gotten to the point where, like, I have started taking notes in my phone about things in the game, uh, specifically turnip prices. I am tracking. Yeah. I am tracking my finances in Animal Crossings better than I've ever fan- tracked my personal finances. <laughs> and I don't know what that says about me or that game, but it's magnificent. So I've I've never actually played an Animal Crossing game myself. Okay, uh, but my my wife plays them, and okay. I I'm absolutely fascinated by this game. Uh, the like you know it the game came out and the memes started popping up and there was yeah. the the weird like Doom Eternal crossover thing. Oh you know, my god, the Doom Eternal and um, Animal Crossing came out around the same time. It was like the only games that people had to play while they were home from work, <laughs> and all the like the weird crossover memes started happening and the the, the memes about. Um, uh, Tom Nook being a, a, a malevolent dictator, and I don't want to call him a slumlord. Part of me almost wants to say it's a Ponzi scheme. What Tom Nook has got running, it's kind of brilliant, actually. I mean, it really is because I haven't stopped playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my wife is much the same way. She um, she plays with uh, not only everybody in our friend group, but also a lot of the people that she works with. They've got, I believe that they've got a Slack channel for. Uh, like where they they keep up with like turnip prices and stuff. So I I, I don't understand I don't understand the mechanics exactly, but I think like people will go to each other's islands and buy turnips at the best prices or something like that. Is that how that works? Close. Um, okay. You're actually selling them. So in the game mm. on Sundays, Sunday mornings, uh, a character named Daisy May shows up on your island, and you can buy turnips. For okay. Her. They usually anywhere from 90 to 100 for a stack of 10. And then if okay. you're really, really lucky or if you know a lot of people, you could, because you check back at the store every single day and the prices change every day for what you can sell them for. And the idea is to sell them for profit. But if you're diligent, 
you can find prices as high as like five or six hundred. So you could turn like a what is that like a two hundred three hundred percent profit? Um, just so that's what it you know. And so like if somebody has a good price on their island, they will open it up and let the floodgates come in. And it is the fastest okay. way in the game to make money. So I gotta know: Are the turnip prices just like the game rolling invisible dice in the background, or is this based on like the real player economy? I don't think it's either. From what I understand, is there are certain trends that are built into the game, and so that's why you can like that's why people are able to track their prices and predict what they're gonna okay. be later in the week. So like I guess there are certain patterns that are built into the game that I don't quite understand, but like if you have certain prices at certain days and certain times, uh, you might get a spike later in the week or you might get a dip later in the week. So it's okay. it, it is kind of based on chance, but like in a, on a specific specific rhythm almost. Like I don't know how else to dis- what else to compare it to. It's uh I think I get the gist. Yeah. Like there are like five or six different patterns that you can have and most of the time they're not good. Yeah, this this game is just absolutely fascinating to me. It's bonkers, man. Yeah. And then like then you start getting into the like the furniture and the crafting and that whole communication thing, but like I mean I yeah, okay, so I was watching something. I think it was an extra credits video the other day and they were talking about video game economies. And how okay. in a lot of games, because of the way that like you make money in a lot of these MMO-type games, and even Animal Crossing, where every time you make money in Animal Crossing, you are printing money and adding it to the economy. So the main currency of the game always becomes hyperinflated. And so players start using secondary items as currency because they become more valuable than the actual money in the game. Okay. I feel like the turnip exchange is going to drive that even faster in Animal Crossing to the point where eventually bells are going to be worthless in that game. But I also wow. find it fascinating to watch and be a part of, frankly. What if, and put your tinfoil hat on for a second, what oh, if this yes. is like, just like a big like macroeconomic experiment? It's not even like intended to be... Like it's 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 superficially it's a video game, but right. it's it's actually it's run by like the the Federal Reserve or something. Oh they're, my God! They're they're, they're simulating. Uh, they're simulating hyperinflation. Like, yeah, they're, they're simulating <laughs> economic scenarios that they can't actually play out in real life. Oh my God! I mean, oh God, that's almost too good not to believe. I mean, it's it's too bonkers not to believe. Oh man. Oh, that is wonderful. I wish that were true. I hope that, I mean, I don't hope that's true because that would be deeply unsettling. <laughs> but like, oh, that's such a fun one. Oh, somebody needs to start spreading that rumor now. I, now, I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist, but I'm absolutely fascinated by a lot of conspiracy theories. I'm I'm a big fan of the Song of Ice and Fire books, which is what the you know, Game of Thrones is based on. Oh, yeah. And um, there's a subreddit for it. I I spend quite a bit of time on there, mostly waiting for uh, Winds of Winter to come out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, that book is going to be great when I finally get to read it in 2035. <laughs> um, there are some just absolutely nutty theories out there. Like there's some there's some theories where I don't want to be the the book is always better guy because that guy sucks. Sure, but. The book is, but the the book is also almost always better. Almost, almost uh, always, yeah. That being said, also the case here, 
there's like this show has its reasons for being great. It's still one of my favorite shows, but in the book, it's just like every chapter is just it's just this rich tapestry woven with with details that you don't even know are significant until like five books later. And there are like these little these little hints at like like there's this person who seems like they don't matter, but they're actually like a secret Targaryen or something like that. And yeah, uh, there's there's all kinds of stuff like that, and it it leads to it leads to a lot of theorizing in the fan community, and uh, how how nonsensical and how how sensical the theories are. They vary pretty wildly. My favorite. My favorite absolutely batshit theory is uh, Tyrion, the time-traveling fetus. Oh, my God. I, I've heard vaguely about this, but you need to tell me more now. Uh, some of the details escape me, but the, the premise is that uh, Tyrion more or less mirrors Oedipus. Uh, and the major, the major difference between uh, Tyrion and Oedipus is that... Uh, Oedipus fucked his mom. Yep. And yep. Uh, Tyrion's mom, yes, Tyrion's mom yep. died in childbirth. That's so, right. So you got to start doing mental gymnastics to make it so that Tyrion can fuck his mom. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. So so basically, uh, <laughs> the theory is that uh, in, in season one of the show, or, or book one of the series, uh, Daenerys Targaryen gets pregnant with Khal Drogo's child. And mm-hmm. uh, the child later dies in a series of events you may or may not be familiar with. If you I have am. or have, have not, yeah. Um, I'm not sure about the listeners. Yeah. Uh, so the theory goes that in order for Tyrion to complete this, uh, this uh, mirror life image of Oedipus, he was actually the fetus inside of Daenerys, and he travels back in time. Uh to be born a Lannister so that sometime in the last two books, he gets to fuck Daenerys, who's his real mom. That's bonkers. And I love yeah. it. And I've read it's... those books. And uh, I mean, all of those events happened in the book. I mean, not all, not the time travel part, but like, yeah. that's a leap, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's probably the most batshit theory out there. But I love it. Oh, it's fantastic. Like, it's almost so crazy I want it to be true. And maybe we'll find out in 2060 when um, book seven comes out as well. I hope they come up with that Futurama tech where they can stick George R. R. Martin's head inside a a Kerfilta fish jar. Oh, that'd be good. And he can just keep writing. Yeah. Until the the heat death of the universe. So Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. Yeah. (laughs) I forgot where we were on that. This is not really related, but uh, okay. that that bunny day thing. Oh my god! She was she was in a bad mood all week because of that. That sucked. That sucked. Uh, so and- so why don't you tell us about bunny day? Okay, so bunny day. Through it. Bunny day. I did survive bunny day barely. You should get a T-shirt that says that. I survived. God, I oh shit, I should. <laughs> in Animal Crossing, in all the games, there are like holiday events and stuff. So the game is tied to your clock, like, in your system console. So, for instance, on the GameCube, you know, you could set your clock to whatever. You could set your clock to Thanksgiving, and everything would be kind of Thanksgiving-themed and stuff. And so now that they're, you know, now that Animal Crossing is a game that can be updated online on a whim, 
the special events are a lot bigger now. And so for Bunny Day, which was their Easter event, uh, it was a week-long thing where there were Easter eggs hidden all over the island in place of fruit, in place of fossils, and in place of fish, which, if you don't know, are the main ways to make money early in the game. Which means for a lot of players... And this happened like within the first month of the game's release, so most people were new and just completely tanked everybody's ability to make money for like a week. Because you'd have to spend twice as long trying to catch fish or, you know, collect fruit or whatever it was you needed to do. And I think there was, oh, and the, and the rocks and the wood, too. So even, you couldn't even get, like, rocks and wood for crafting. And I guess at some point there was a patch that reduced the amount of eggs that were hidden on the island. But I swear to you, I did not notice it. Like, I never noticed a decrease at all. So your experience is that you're fishing, and then a fish-shaped shadow is moving under the water, and you yes. go to f- catch it, and it's a, a, a fucking egg. Yep, it's a it's an Easter egg. Yep. It's an Easter egg. It's a damn Easter egg. Yep. And, I mean, I'm willing to stretch my imagination far enough to know that sometimes that fish that swims up to my hook might be a boot or a tire. But an <laughs> Easter egg, I refuse to believe. That's, that's, a, that's a stroke too far for me, sir. I actually kind of, having uh, witnessed this uh, secondhand, yes. not for not you know through playing myself, I actually found this kind of humorous. Oh God, I bet it was hilarious because <laughs> we all got so mad for over something that doesn't matter at all. Uh, my wife kept telling me, telling me about uh, she she you know she would go to the the subreddit for Animal Crossing and yeah. um, her her favorite meme from Bunny Week was uh, hippity hoppity get off my property. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is that. <laughs> it is very much that. <laughs> so why don't you tell us about your thing? Uh, I'm really I'm using my ace in the hole early here because uh, my thing of the week, probably my thing of the year actually, is uh, The Expanse. I've heard you talk a little bit about this, and I'm anxious to hear more. When you told me you like reading sci-fi, I recommended this to you. And uh, you, it sounds like you haven't gotten a chance to, to read it yet. I, I still haven't read it, no. I, I am the worst okay. at reading things on my list. <laughs> I, I highly recommend it. Whenever people ask me what The Expanse is about, I really just want to spoil the entire first book. Because <laughs> the first book, really it really sets up the world so well. And there's, there's kind of this mystery that hangs over the entire series that's... But personally, that's what drives me to read these books. It's it's also, uh, they made a show adaptation. It's on Amazon Prime Video. It used to be on Sci-Fi. Uh, after three seasons, it was nearly canceled, and then Amazon picked it up. Uh, if you don't have time to read the books, watch the show. The show's great. I finished the show, and I needed more. So I started reading the books. Natural. I'll try not to spoil anything. But um, from a high level, the, the show... Well, the show in the books. The, the the Expanse is about... It's set in our solar system about 200 years in the future. The The Earth is overpopulated. Uh, our resources are mostly exhausted. People have colonized Mars, and they have colonized the asteroid belt between uh, Mars and the outer planets. So there's sort of these three rival factions. The the Earthers, the uh, the Martians, and the Belters. And there's, there's a lot of political intrigue that happens. Um, there's, a, there's a rich girl who goes missing. And there's sort of like this noir detective oh. figure who uh, has to go and find out what happened to her. 
there's a uh, a water hauler ship that was blown up by some kind of like terrorist attack and that it all it all ties together like i said there's there's this kind of big mystery that hangs over the entire series that's who knows when we'll find out what happens i'm like <laughs> two books ahead of the show and i still don't know i have to ask well first of all i have to ask why the hell have i not read this this is like what you described first of all is exactly up my alley um from what you described it sounds like because at first i wanted to the, the thing that jumped out when you started describing this was uh kim stanley robinson i don't know if you know much about him no. um he is a sci-fi writer and he he's kind of at least in my experience He's kind of more of a hard sci-fi writer, kind of futurist sort of guy. Um, he wrote a trilogy of books about uh, terraforming and traveling to and living on Mars that became really influential. He wrote a couple other books about a solar system, thing like that. But from what it mm-hmm. des- you described, it sounds like this series is more about, like you said, the intrigue and, and the kind of interpersonal relationships rather than the actual science behind how the society functions. Would you say that? Or what's uh, the balance of hard science and, like, <clears throat> character drama, I guess? I would say, like, the real meat and potatoes of the series is the character drama. The characters are well-written. It's actually, they're pretty diverse. There's a strong emphasis on scientific accuracy. I'm, I, I will say, the first couple of entries to the series, the, the prose is not amazing it's for the most part it's it's serviceable right but there are in the first couple of books there are going to be some parts where you read it and you get well why would you write that why would you write that sentence there are better <laughs> ways to say what you just said okay so like like you're talking like kind of on a minutia kind of technical level yeah so it's it's not a perfect series by any means but well no um, no series truly is but the things it does well, it does really well. So to just to give a couple of examples of like the the heavy emphasis on the scientific accuracy, they they talk about, and I don't want to make it sound like like they they overcompensate for poor writing with with science, you know? Right. It's it's not like they they spend chapters and chapters waxing poetic about how black holes work or something. They'll just they kind of toss in little details there, like. The, the crew will be on a ship and they'll talk about how uh, like the ship is traveling at a comfortable like one third, like one third G, you know, okay. one third of Earth's gravity. Sure. And then they'll go and they'll land on uh, Ceres, which is it's it's an asteroid which was converted into like a space station and people live there. Right. And they artificially That's created awesome. spin. And uh, basically imagine, you know. Yeah. So the yeah. spin creates gravity and imagine Imagine series is like hollowed out. People are like yeah. walking on the inside of it. I have to stop you for a second and say that this is remarkably easy for me to imagine uh, as a <laughs> as a as a science and sci-fi fan. I am so into this right now. So please keep going. So yeah, they'll they'll talk about what it's like to be on a spaceship traveling at like one third of Earth's gravity uh, with like, thrust gravity, and then they'll go to a place like Ceres, which has spin gravity, and they'll go to a bar. And they'll order a pour of whiskey, and the the whiskey comes out at a slight angle because of the Coriolis effect. Yep. And like I said, it's not overwhelming. It's not like they're trying to science their way out of bad writing. It's right. just it's just great it's, world building. Yeah, that's it, right? That's the like I've always felt 
that with a lot of sci-fi, at least the sci-fi I've read, there seems to be kind of two different camps. You have what people call hard sci-fi and soft sci-fi. I don't think that's a really good Mm -hmm. explanation for it. But, you know, it's basically the kind of stuff like the really technical stuff and the kind of more Doctor Who-y kind of like, the science isn't really part of it. It's just sort of more character-driven kind of thing. And I've, I've always found okay. the best the best science fiction are the ones that manage to balance both of those approaches and do exactly what you said, which is use the science in the world building. I think that that's, that's something that I think The Martian was really good at doing that, weirdly enough, even though a lot of it was kind of like almost reading a textbook. But like you got the impression in that book that this science was life or death. But, the, like, I do really love the idea of using bits of science as world-building, like, real using real science as world-building, or, you know, science fiction based on real science as world-building is very, very cool to me. I am definitely going to have to read these books. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. And there's, there's, there's so much more. There's, like, they talk about how people who were born and lived their entire lives in the belts, you know, basically in basically microgravity they'll they'll develop elongated bodies and large heads oh yeah and uh people from like earth and mars who grow up in a gravity well they'll refer to them uh pejoratively as skinnies skinnies which is like it's like a racist term it's a racist thing yeah yeah okay see they see that's another another thing that you know sci-fi i i always kind of like when sci-fi kind of not necessarily uses real world analogs because that can be kind of problematic but like uh yeah it sounds like that's kind of a unique uh a unique thing to that world and so like that's a kind of a cool way i think to explore prejudice as well without having to accidentally make what you're writing racist yeah have you have you played a video game called uh detroit become human no i don't even think i've heard of that game okay it's it's a PS4 exclusive. That um, would be why. And uh, there's uh, w- without going too much into it. Basically, the premise is that it's it's set in the future. It's set in uh, Detroit, and uh, people people own uh, androids, and androids are like it's like having a refrigerator. You know, it's they're they're an appliance. Yeah, and then throughout the the course of the game the the androids start to become like self-aware and they they want freedom and it's it's basic the basic the premise is it's very much about like racism and uh things like that which is which is fine if you want to make a game that makes a statement about racism and prejudice then then that's great yeah but it did it a little heavy-handed at parts i think the writing was not great like like there were some parts where like they they tell an android to go sit in the back of a bus oh my god which which is that's incredibly ham-fisted oh man yeah Uh, among so many other things is that bad that's the thing about like when you handle real world problems in fiction you have to be so extremely delicate I don't know. I've never had the confidence to try to approach things that I don't have a personal experience with uh, in terms of writing for that reason, you know. But again, I think that kind of bringing that back around to sci-fi, I do tend to think that sci-fi gives us good opportunities more so than fantasy, frankly, in my opinion. Let me, sorry, I should say that way instead. In my opinion, it does because like 
you're able to create entire worlds that are independent from ours, but similar enough. Like, you, it just, it bums me out whenever I watch a fantasy movie and I see orcs based on, like, you know, some version, some version of a foreigner. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I feel like in sci-fi, a lot of that stuff kind of gets avoided and the things that characters in sci-fi stories tend to fight over or be prejudiced over isn't things that are really in our world. Um, yeah. It's things like somebody grew up in a different type of gravity and therefore have a different sh- body shape. And so it's similar, but different enough, I think, that like it just doesn't feel so ham-fisted, like you said, and kind of heavy-handed and sometimes borderline offensive. That That's that's what I really like about the way that The Expanse does it. Like, Yeah, that sounds um, like a really nice way to do that. Yeah, there are, there are different races... Oh yeah, the expanse. But there's not like prejudice based on race. It's more about like which which faction you belong to. Right, right. It's it's almost more like tribalism, classism kind of yeah. struggles. Yeah, yeah. I, I think tribalism is a good way to put it. Yes, I think tribalism is is a is a topic that is it can be explored a lot. I think there's a lot to say about tribalism. It it provides a medium to explore topics like racism and, pre- and prejudice without getting too, you know, real worldy. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's also believable at the same time. Like, yeah, I, I can I can totally imagine a, uh, a a futuristic scenario where people living on the asteroid belts resent people living in a gravity like people people in the belt yeah. they hate people on in the gravity well because they're they're soft and they they didn't they didn't have to grow up in the the harsh realities of of outer space and like people right. from mars they hate earth because they they took all of their resources for granted and people from earth hate people from mars because they're they think they're just a bunch of militaristic rednecks and things like that it's yeah, it's it's really cool from that from that perspective. I I've got to, I've, if not get these books, I have several audible credits to burn. I definitely think I need to read this because this sounds absolutely fascinating and completely right up my alley. If you can ignore the occasionally subpar prose, I think you'll enjoy it. I uh, I have read a lot of sci-fi, and so that means yes, I can um, <laughs> suffer through a little bit of bad prose. Um, do you have Amazon Prime? I do. Yeah. Okay, then you can you can watch the series uh, on Prime Video right now. Cool. That's awesome. But I think you know me better. I think you know me better than that. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. The the books the books by and large I think are better than the show. Although with with a couple of exceptions, I think the first season is maybe a little bit better. Okay. Than the first book. So maybe I should start um, with the first season and get a little get a little taste. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you watch the first season and you, you realize it's not actually for you, which right. is fine. You don't. Oh yeah. You, know, you don't oh, have yeah. to like it, but yeah, maybe that's what I'll do because because I do have a very bad tendency of putting off reading in favor of I don't read the things on the stack because there's a new thing to read, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh yeah, no, so yeah, no, maybe maybe that is a good way to start. When I first read. Game of or a uh, Song of Ice and Fire, like the first book, a Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of made an effort because I couldn't help myself. So I made an effort to 
read the I read the first book and I watched the first season of the show right after. And from okay. that point, I I made I I had the realization that I was not going to be able to control myself enough to not watch the show. So I made a deal okay. with myself was that was I will read book two and then watch season two, and that was you know because the first couple seasons were sort of uh, more or less you know based book by book, and then eventually I ran out of books, and I just kind of kept watching <laughs> the show. But oh. Uh, <laughs> But but I say all that to say that I, I I have learned that it is possible for me to read the book and watch the show at the same time and still enjoy both. Yeah, I my only problem is that I'm I'm not a very fast reader. See, that's my problem um, too. That's why audiobooks are such a big deal for me. I love audiobooks because I can listen to them in the car or while mm-hmm. I walk the dog or while I'm cleaning or something. Yep. <laughs> the problem is, of course, I I've been working from home for the past two months. Yep. So I don't commute very much. That's see, I I have a, a similar but different problem. I work a job that lets me, it gives me the ability to listen to audiobooks pretty regularly at work, or at least yeah. for a few hours a day. And it's really easy to listen to audiobooks while you're working. But again, I spent almost two months at home where I completely fell behind. Now, the things that I'm doing now in terms of work, I'm not able to really do that anymore. So, like, I am also really yeah. far behind on audiobooks. Is like, just because I, I guess that's a, a weird uh, a, a weird thing that a lot of people are probably going through. I just I don't have as much idle time occupied enough to enjoy an audiobook, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because it's hard to just sit and listen to an audiobook without also doing something else. Yeah. At that point, you may as well just be reading the book. That's the thing, right? And it's going to be more engaging to sit and read the book. If yeah, I, I'm going to hit you with some big boomer energy right now. Uh, okay. I, I feel like at least at least for me, I think I think my cell phone has probably been pretty destructive to my my attention span. Oh, and big time. it's a big part of the reason why it's so hard for me to sit down and read, especially when I was reading A Dance with Dragons, which has it, it can take like 45 minutes to get through a chapter. Yeah, like all these expanse books, more often than not, the chapters are going to be exactly 10 pages. Oh, great. That's great. Yeah, and you can bang that out real quick. Just oh, like yeah. I'll read a chapter and then fall asleep. Yep. It's so easy. Oh god, yeah. See, that's that's a that's nice. I I I like that. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, it it's an easy read. Yeah. Well, that's great, especially for me. Again, as somebody who is kind of a slow and lazy reader. Cuz I also have a I think I have the same problem in terms of attention span. You know, it's it's hard for me to pay attention to anything for longer than 10 minutes. Um that might be um just that may have been the case prior to having a smartphone, yeah. but I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> oh yeah, before that was it was TV. Yeah, well that's true. That is true. Yeah, TV. I, I was actually I was I was trying to work on. I I was having a pretty good year up until the whole shelter in place thing happened. Yes. I all of January I didn't have a single drink. Nice. Because like you know, not that I wanted to quit drinking entirely, but Just you know, take like a during break. the holidays you start you know drinking after every meal and yeah. Yep. Just wanted to scale it back, and then in like February, I I, I didn't have sweets all month, and then uh, March I started uh, March I started making a concerted effort to like turn my phone off for X hours a day, and I started using like the Screen Time app to stop myself from going on Facebook all the time, and yeah, and now I have nothing to do except for a drink and scroll through my phone yep. and eat sweets. So. Yep, I had gotten pretty good about. My soda. I I am just so bad with soda. Oh, me too. For a while, I had gotten bad. I had gotten pretty good about it. Like I had gotten myself down to maybe having a can or two a day while I was at work, 
and then I wouldn't drink any when I got home and all of that, and I was doing really well. And again, exactly what happened with you, you know, all of a sudden it's just, ah, it's like I got nothing better to do. I don't got anywhere to be, so I'm going to stay up all damn night anyway. Oh, yeah. Life just gets upended. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then everything goes topsy-turvy. Well, thanks for uh, sharing your thing with me this week, Luke. And and thank you for sharing uh, your Animal Crossing stories and... Oh, I, absolutely. I'm sure there will be more I, Animal I ge- Crossing. I genuinely enjoy hearing about this game. It's it's absolutely fascinating to me. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you enjoyed it. And now I am really glad that I have a new series to check out. I, I do hope you like it. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. All, maybe two of you. Are you being generous? It's, but... Yeah, it's, it's just you and me listening to yeah, our podcast. Yeah, well, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. We'll talk to you all again next week. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Bye.